So it's a new week. It's a new book. A new sefer. And we're learning now. Chumash Rashi. Difficulty here holding this phone. Let's try to do this here. We have a stand, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. The, <clears throat> this is the book of Bamidbar. Numbers. Numbers. Because the beginning of the parasha is a census. And God spoke to Moshe in the wilderness of Sinai, Be'ohil Mo'ed, Be'ehad Lachodesh, it was the first of the month, Be'ehad Lachodesh Hashini, was the first of the second month, so the second month of the year is Iyar, so this would happen on Rosh Chodesh Iyar, Be'ehad Hashinit, in the second year, Le'etzetam Me'eres Mitzrayim, Le'mor. Now, God is going to count the Jewish people, and the question is, why is he counting us now? So that she says, it's because that God loves the Jewish people. And because he loves us, he always counts us. When we came out of Mitzrayim, in the book of Shemot, it says he counted us. When there was a plague after the sin of the golden calf, he counted us. And now when he's coming to rest his divine presence upon us with the Torah, he counts us again. So therefore, on the first of Nisan, that's when the Mishkan was established. And then a month later, he counted us. So this is this is a month after the Mishkan was established. Take a census of the, the children of Israel, according to their families, according to their fathers, take each house by number of the names, every male, according to the head count. So the Pasuk uh, uh, says over here, they would count it according to their father's house. That means if the father came from one tribe and uh, the mother came from a different tribe, so they count them on the father's tribe. So that's what it means, lebet avotam. I'd say the father came from Yehuda, the mother came from Benjamin. So he's counted on Yehuda's uh, roster. So Sandra, you were right. The way they counted B'nai Say was through the Shekin. That she says that they don't count Jewish people directly. They count them through the half Shekin. So everybody gives a half Shekin, and then they count the coins. And that's how they know the uh, the people. So since the gulgelotam is a head count, but they're not really counting heads; they're counting half shekels. Where they were counting between twenty years and up. Every 
and uh, these are the uh, men that are suitable to go to the army. And in the Torah, you're not suitable to go to the army until at least 20 years old. And the Pasuk says, And with them, uh, they also counted the leader of each tribe. There's 12 tribes. And now we're going to learn about the leaders of each tribe. And the Pasuk says, So these are the leaders of the tribes. Elisur ben Shedeur. Le Shimon, Shilumiel ben Suri Shaddai. Lihuda, Nachshadab. Lihisachar, Netanel ben Suad. Zbulun, Eliab ben Halon. Lebne Yosef, Le Ephraim, Elishama ben Amihud. Lemnashe, Gamliel ben Pedasur. Lebinyamin, Abidan ben Gedoni. Ledan, Achiezer ben Amishaddai. Le Asher. Pagiel ben Ochran, Legad Eliasaf ben Deuel, the Naftali, Ahida ben Enan. So those are all the names of the tribal leaders. Elle Kirue Haeda. These are the leaders that are summoned whenever there's a meeting. So they, those are the ones that represented the tribes. They're called Kirue Haeda, Nisie Matot, they're the presidents of the tribes. So Moshe Rabbeinu designated these 12 tribes that were listed by their names. We just mentioned their names. He gathered them on the first of the second month. And he uh, established their families, each one according to their uh, tribe. So he separated the tribes according to their tribal families. From Again, he was counting the tribes of the people of Now, there's not too much that she on the next Pesukim that we're going to read. But I'll just read you so you know the um, the census. Now we're going to count how many people in the family of Reuven. So Reuven is the, the firstborn. So it says, so they totaled 46,000. So the Oven is 46,500. So their families, 20 years old and up, males only. So they are 59,300. And now we get to the family of God. God, again, all the males from 20 and up, God's total numbers are Hamisha Barbaim, Ele, 45,000, and 650. The tribe of Yehuda, the Torah says, they come up to Arba'a Bishivim Ele, while 74,600. The family of Yisachat, so they totaled, 
none of them went to Eretz Israel. They all died in the desert over the course of 40 years because of the sin of the, uh, of the spies, which we'll learn about in the summer. So it wasn't such a, bless you, wasn't such a blessing, this, uh, uh, this census, in the sense that nobody survived it. So therefore God did not want to count the tribe of Levi because he didn't want Levi to also be part of the decree that everybody should die in the desert because the tribe of Levi did not worship the golden calf. So therefore God had mercy on them and therefore they survived the wilderness and they ended up going to Eretz Israel. So the tribe of Levi is not counted or they were counted, I should say, separately. They weren't counted with the whole because the whole, again, was denied access into the Holy Land. But the Levim were. God says to Moshe, do not count the heads of Levi, meaning with the people. The Levim actually are going to be counted on their own, and their job really was to be the uh, administrators of the Mishkan to take care of all the vessels. They carried the Mishkan in the Midbar. And they also served in the Bet HaMikdash as well. When the Mishkan traveled, that took it apart, they disassembled it. And when the Mishkan settled, it was the Levim that actually put it back together again. So the Torah says, any stranger who's not a Levi or a Kohen that would come close to the Mishkan, they would be punished by death. death. Uh, there was a death called a death by the hands of heaven. That means only the Kohanim and the Levim were able to work in the Beit HaMikdash. So the Torah says that <clears throat> each tribe had his special location in the Midbar. So let's just review this, 12 tribes. So each three tribes was on one side. So we had three tribes on the east, three tribes in the west, in the north, and in the south. That's how they traveled, three, 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 and three. And they had flags, and they traveled in a square formation. You would think that they traveled like in a, in a you know, in a, just like a parade. It's not so. They had one over here, three over here, three over here, three over here, three over here. So it's basically a, a square, and they traveled as such. The Levim themselves, they uh, traveled the center around the Mishkan. And uh, they removed the anger, which means. Uh, everybody's saying a formation, it removed the anger of God from B'nai Israel, uh, that the Levim and the Kwanim stayed in the Mishkan, and the Jewish people did not uh, cross the border to go into the Mishkan area. That caused God not to become angry. And then the Pasuk concludes and says, The job of the Levim was to protect 
and to safeguard the tabernacle. And B'nai Israel acquiesced, meaning they followed the laws exactly like God said. What are the laws that are being said? They're not allowed to go next to the Mishkan, only the Kualim and the Vi'im, and they followed the law of the, uh, of the census that they allowed themselves to be counted. And again, we came out to 603,000. So that's uh, the first chapter of, of Bemid Barak. And nothing so exciting, just counting numbers, but it's a sign of endearment, as we said earlier. And uh, we'll, take, we'll take a break over here, because now we're going to start a new chapter. Not too much, again, not too much that she's in the Perashah, so we'll get to read, you know, the ones that are uh, pertinent, pertinent uh, as we go further. But nonetheless, this is you should have Amen. Good evening. We're learning uh, the parasha with the commentary of Rashi Kadosh. These lessons are for the refuah of Haya Sara Batsimha Elna Rifanana Betoksha Arhola Amoisil. So we're in the census. So we counted last night almost all the tribes outside of the tribe of Levi. And we came out to, I think, a subtotal of about 603,000 and, uh, and change. So when they say 600,000 Jews, it's not exactly 600,000, it's, you know, more or less, it's close enough. I think we said it was, um, was 603,550, uh, to be exact. And the tribe of Levi was not counted amongst the, uh, amongst the people. Now we're going to start Pedigbet. So God speaks to Moshe and Aharon. Ish. So let's uh, talk about this subject. It's a, a fascinating topic, the formation that the Jewish people traveled in the Midbar. Now, whenever uh, people are traveling, like an army, so they have a formation. There's a certain way that they are configured. So the Jewish people had a very unique configuration. They didn't go single file or uh, they didn't travel, let's say, all just in one uh, you know, horizontal row. So the way they traveled was, I think we mentioned it last night, in a square formation. And then you had three tribes on each side. So there's 12 tribes, so three, 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 and three. And they would travel in such a way with the Mishkan being in the center. And now the uh, Torah is going to tell us exactly who stood where. Now, this is an old configuration that was in the times already of Yaakov Abinu. Uh, so that she reminds us of it, that when uh, Yaakov passed away, so the tribes had to carry the uh, coffin of Yaakov Abinu to Israel, to Hebron, to the Ma'arat HaMachpelah, to bury and when he passed away, Yaakov Abinu told each tribe where to stand. So here's the 
So he told each tribe to stand in a certain position. And that's the exact position that the tribes assumed when they were in the Midbar. So they were following an old, uh, you know, an old, an old plan. For example, as she says, the tribes of Yehuda, Yisak, and Zebulun, they stood in the east. And Reuven, Shimon, and Gad in the south, like it says. So now we're going to go read exactly how they did it in the Midbar. So let's start. Um, and those that were uh, in the front, at the east, Degel Mahane Yehuda, like we said, Yehuda, Venasi, the head of the tribe of Yehuda was Nachshon ben Aminadab, Usfa'uf Kodem, and we said they had Arba'a b'shivim elif, they had 74,600 people. And then with them is the tribe of Yisachar, and the president of Yisachar is Netanel ben Suar, and they had Arba'a b'hamishim, 54,400 people, and with them was Matez Zivulun, and the head of Zivulun was again Eliav ben Chilom. Zivulun had uh, 57,400. And altogether, of those three tribes that traveled uh, in the east, that is going to be Me'at Elif, Ushmonim Elif, Veshishit Alafim Varba Me'od. So it's going to be uh, 180,000, 186,400. And they traveled first, which means they were at the head of the camp at the east. So when they saw the cloud move, let me explain to you what that means. The Jewish people, how do they know when to travel? How do they know when that they start to move in the Midbar? So there was a cloud that was trailing with them. When the cloud stopped, the people stopped. When the cloud started to move, so the people would move with it. So they were at the front. So when they saw the cloud starting to move, the Kohanim would blow their shofar. And then uh, Yehuda, that tribes in the beginning, would start to, to move forward. And the Levim again were in the middle. And uh, like we said, Yehuda was in the east. And uh, we'll see that Reuven actually was in the south. Ephraim is going to be in the west. And Dan is going to be in the Safon in the north. So now we read the second. Degel Mahane Reuven. I'm reading Pasuk Yud now. Teman. Temana means south. So Reuven was in the south. The president of Reuven was Elitzud ben Shedeur. The amount of people that Uven had again, 46,500. With them was Shimon, and their president was Shlumi El ben Suri Shaddai. They had 59,300 people. With them was also the tribe of God, and the tribe of God had a leader called Eliasaf ben Reuel, and they had um, 45,650 people. Now, all the people on that section, of the section of Reuven, which is the southern flank, altogether is 151,450. And they traveled second. Uh, that's um, the, the, the south. Now, after that, you have 
ונעשה אוהל מועד מחנה הלוויים בתוך המחנות, the לוויים were in the middle, they were in the center of the משכן, כאשר יחנו כן יישאו איש על ידו לראותם, ודגל מחנה אפרים. And now you have uh, the tribe of Ephraim. And keep in mind, every, <coughs> every uh, direction had a flag. So there was different flags. Now the flag of Ephraim was Yamma. Yamma means in the uh, West. And the president of Ephraim <coughs> is Elishama bin Amihud. And they had uh, 40,500 people with Ephraim. Was their brother Menashe? The head of Menashe is none other than Gamliel ben Pedasud, and the uh, amount of people that they had was thirty-two thousand and thirty-nine uh, ushloshim elif, thirty-two thousand two hundred, and uh, they also had Mate uh, Binyamin, Binyamin, and his president was Avidan ben Gidoni, and they had. Uh, 35,400 altogether. Those tribes on the, I guess we said about the west side, is uh, going to be uh, 180,100. And then you have Degel Mahane Dan. The tribe of Dan traveled in the north, and the president of Dan was Ahayezah ben Amishadai, and they had uh, a big tribe actually, tribe of Dan. That was the handicapped tribe, but not bad for a handicap. He had 62,700. Uh, and with the tribe of Dan was also Asher, and the president of Asher was Pagiel ben Ochran, and they had 41,500. And with them, there was the tribe of Naphtali, and the head of Naphtali was Ahiram ben Ainan, and they had 53,000. It's boring a little, 53,000. Uh, and uh, 400, but this is the parasha. And altogether, uh, on that side of the camp, in the tribe of Dan, there was 175,600. Now, that's that's it. Now now you know exactly that the, the tribes were divided into four equal parts, and each part had three tribes, like we said, on each side, and then the Mishkan and Shevet Levi in the, uh, in the middle. Again, these are the countings of the children of Israel. Uh, that's why this book is called the Book of Numbers, by the way. <coughs> if you didn't figure it out yet, the past two nights, all we're doing is just reading about numbers. That book is called the Book of Numbers. Like we said last night, 603,500 50. The Be'im were not counted amongst B'nai Israel, and uh, B'nai Israel did exactly what they were told regarding, thank you, regarding their, uh, their, their flags and regarding the way they uh, traveled in the formation. Okay, now we go to chapter Gima. We're moving right ahead. toledot aharon And now we talk about the family of Aharon and Moshe. Now, this is very, very interesting because the Torah says this is the family of Aharon and Moshe. And then the Torah goes on to tell us, and these are the names of Aharon. The, his oldest son was Nadav, 
and then Abihu, and then Il Azad, and Itamar. So wait, it tells us these are the, these are the children of Moshe and Aharon, but it only tells us the children of Aharon. So why does it introduce it to us as these are the children of Moshe and Aharon? And it only mentions Aharon. So that she comes along and says, a big chidush, because Moshe Rabbeinu taught them Torah. And we have a lesson that we learn from here, that anybody that teaches their friend's son Torah, it's like they bore them. So therefore, a rabbi, in a certain sense, is like the father, maybe not the biological father, definitely not, but he is a father-like figure to the child. So therefore, since Moshe taught his nephews Torah, so therefore the Torah says these are the children of Moshe. You understand? And there's, there's a lesson over there. The lesson over here is that has as students like children. And parents usually have uh, more patience for their children than other children. And they usually give their children the benefit of the doubt. And they usually show them extra love. But I was coming to say, a teacher must is uh, and therefore, the good in them, you know, give them extra, you know, TLC and uh, time, etc. Whatever you would do for your own kid, so that's what you have to do for the uh, student. So it's not just, you know, nice to go, he's like his uh, father. No, he has to actually treat the student like a son. And therefore, Moshe, he had biological sons, but we're talking about the spiritual sons that he had, meaning Aaron's sons were his, because he taught them. I don't teach them, of course. But Moshe, Moshe started. Moshe brought the, the Torah down to everybody. So since Moshe Rabbeinu taught them first, he's also considered like their father. Now the Pasuk says that Nadab uh, who died, as we know, <coughs> and they died on the opening day of the Mishkan, and they did not have children. They weren't even married, as a matter of fact. And then it says, El Azar and Itamar, who were the surviving brothers, they took over. So that's, um, they took over. Okay, so that's that. Now, by the Bera Shimon Moshe, let's go one more, one more item. Hakrev et Matelevi. Okay, so here's a story now. Bring close or bring near the tribe of Levi, and I want you to bring them and stand them before Aharon the Kohen, means they will uh, serve him. Now, how is the tribe of Levi going to serve Aharon? So it says that one of their jobs was that they did security for the Mishkan. They were in charge of making sure no strangers or non-Kohanim entered the Mishkan. So that's a security service. It's one of the jobs that the Levim did. They were, they were the guardsmen of the Mishkan. So um, their job was also to take care of the needs of the Beit HaMikdash. And uh, they got paid for it. 
What did they get paid? How did Levim live if they were taking care of the Bet HaMikdash? They were like the custodians of the Bet HaMikdash. So it says they got paid in Ma'asir. They would get 10% of the of the product. So if you, you had a field, let's say, so you would have to give 2% to the Kohen, and you had to give 10% to the Levi. And you will place the Levi'im to Aaron and his sons. Uh, they were placed, uh, again, uh, in the courtyard from the Jewish people. Uh, that's God's decree that they should be the ones to serve. And also, Aharon and his sons were chosen. They were uh, designated. And they have to preserve their kihuna, uh, which means they have certain jobs. They have to receive the blood. When they slaughter an animal, only Aharon's children can receive the blood. And um, they can sprinkle the blood only. And they're the ones that bring the Korban uh, on the Zbayah. And the Torah tells us, that anybody that's not a Kohen who comes close to Betamikdash will be put to death. So there's a death penalty for strangers uh, to enter the uh, to enter the Mikdash. Hashem spoke to the people. I took the Levim to work for me. So here's a, uh, a shame. Uh, the Jewish people uh, really were supposed to be served by the firstborns. The firstborns were supposed to be the, the Kohanim. But once they worshipped the golden calf, they lost their job. So God replaced the firstborns and replaced them with Levim. So I'm a firstborn, let's say. I'm not a Levi. So I was supposed to be a Kohen. I was supposed to work in the Bet HaMikdash. But now I don't work in the Bet HaMikdash. Why? Because as a firstborn, they worshipped the golden calf. And therefore all the firstborns were immediately fired. And who took their place? The Levim. Because the Levim did not worship the golden calf. So there was a, uh, you know, a sudden change in, um, in who's going to serve. And the Pasuk says, uh, I mean, the firstborns were actually holy from the times that we came out of Egypt. God saved all the firstborns, even the animals. Uh, but that was why we were chosen. But we lost our status again as a result of Hatayim. All right. That's, uh, that's the short of it or the long of it, whatever you want to call it. But that's for the question of Haya Saraba Simcha. Thank you, Rabbi. Amen. Thank you. We did a lot. Thank you. We have to learn these parashiyot nonetheless. And uh, in the the coming uh, weeks, we'll understand these parashiyot a little deeper, but at least we get the basic, you have to get the basic skeleton of each parasha. That's interesting. Let me go into it the deeper we cannot start on the deep level until we get the simple basics right. yeah, we'll go one step at a time anyway we're up to
חמישי. So the Torah comes along and says now we have to count the sons of Levi, the tribe, the Bet Abotam, the Mishpechotam, to their families called Zachar, the Ben Chodesh, so the Leviim, we're counting them from a month old. Bene Israel, we count them Leviim, we count them from infancy, from a month old. That she says, once they leave the category nefalim, a nefil, the first 30 days of a baby's life, uh, it's questionable if he's going to live. It's a very fragile time. Once he reaches 30 days, then already you could assume that he's going to live. So therefore, we don't count only viable infants, and a viable infant is after 30. For example, that's why we do the pidyon after 30 days. We just want to make sure that the child is uh, viable. And um, so that's the, uh, that's, that's the story. We count them at a, at a very, very, very young age. Now, the Pasuk says that we are going to count them by Yifkodotam Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu counted the people of Levi, Al Pi Hashem. Now, what does it mean, Alpi Hashem? According to the word of Hashem. So that she says, Amar Moshe Lefne HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Moshe said in front of Hashem, Heach ani nechnas letoch aholehem. How can I enter their tents? Lada'at minyan yon kehem. You see, it would be immodest, because since you're counting infants, Moshe Rabbeinu would have to walk into the tents of Levi, which Moshe Rabbeinu felt that that would be a breach of modesty. So Moshe Rabbeinu tells God, how am I supposed to know how much Levi'im there are, especially you want me to count infants, how am I going to walk into their tents? So Moshe is told by God, you do what you're supposed to do, and I will do what I'm supposed to do. Moshe Rabbeinu went and he stood at the entrance of the tent, and the Shekhinah preceded him, and a voice comes out of the tent, and all of a sudden he heard a heavenly voice that would tell him, this is how many infants are in this tent. So it was a miracle. He stood at the tent, and all of a sudden you hear 22 infants. And that's it. You didn't have to walk in. But you learn a lesson over here. If God was doing a miracle for Moshe, why does he have to walk to the tent at all? Let him just stay home and let, him, let God just give him the answer. And the answer, the answer to that is that for anything to happen, one has to start an action. And then Bore Olam will give a blessing in the action. But if there's inaction, so then God will not bring a, a miracle. That's what Moshe has to go as far as he can go, and then once he can't go anymore, then Bari Olam will go. That's a lesson in life. A person should not rely totally on 
a miracle by doing nothing. You have to make your effort to the extent where you can go. And then after that, when you can go no more, then you pray to Hashem that Hashem should, uh, should take over. That's when Moshe Rabbeinu had to walk to the tents. And once he got to the tents, already the voice uh, miraculously uh, came out. And now we're going to give the... Yes, please. Is there a certain way to count people? I'm a teacher, and I'm told that not everybody counts one, two, three, four, five children. Is there a certain way to count them? Yes, it's a good question. So uh, my rabbi was Rabbi Baruch ben Chaim. When he used to count us in Magen David in eighth grade, so he would uh, take a pasuk mm-hmm. and the, as 10 words, for example, because he was always trying to make sure we were a minyan of 10. So uh, the pasuk would be, Hoshia et amecha ubarech et nahalatecha urem benasem ad olam. Or they say, Baruch ata Hashem elokeinu melech haolam hamotzi lecham in the arms. You pick a pasuk as uh, 10, 10 words now. Just uh, an anecdote to what you're saying. Uh, there's a pasuk uh, that Rabbi Baruch used to use also. It's in Tehillim. We say it on Rosh Chodesh. Masmiyah hasir la ve'esev la'avodat ha'adam lehotzi min ha'aris. It's 10, 10, uh, 10 words. And uh, he didn't, I'm not going to say he didn't like, but uh, was one kid in the class, let's say, that the rabbi wasn't so fond of. So every day when he would count us, he would make sure the word behema would always land on him. So he would say, I would get, uh, and give us a okay, Anyway, that's the way you count the people. So now, and these are the children, the names of Levi Gereshon, the main, main families of Levi are three families. The Gershon family, the Kehat family, and the Merari family. Now, these three families were all sons of Levi, the original, the tribe. So the tribe Levi had three sons, Gereshon, Kehat, and Merari. And these are the uh, names of the children of Gereshon, the Mishpechotam. Libni v'shimri. Okay? Libni v'shimri. Ubne Kehat. And the children of Kehat. Well, the children of Kehat actually <clears throat> are famous. One of the children of Kehat are Amram. We know Amram is the father of Moshe. Yitzhar. Yitzhar actually is the father of Korah. That means uh, Moshe, who was the son of Amram, and Korah was the son of Yitzhar. They were first cousins. Hebron, that's another brother, and Uziel. Ubne Merari, and the children of Merari are Mahli and Mushi. And these are the families of uh, Levi. Now, the Gereshon, to the family of Gereshon, we're going back. Uh, the family of Gereshon had Mishpahat uh, al uh, Libni. Right, umishpachat shimi, like we said, el de mishpachat gershuni. Fine. And how many people were in the family of John? So it says, pikudehem shivat alafim vahamishmot seven thousand five hundred. Mishpachat gershuni ahadeh So the mishpachat gershuni when they traveled, remember we learned last night 
they traveled in a square, and uh, the Mishkan was in the middle, and the Levim would travel around the Mishkan. So the family of Gerishon would actually travel uh, Yama. Yama is to the west of the Mishkan. And the tribal leader, or the family leader, I should say, of the family of Gerishon was a fellow by the name of Eliasaf ben Lael. Now, Umishmeret ben Gerishon. Now, very important to know, every family of the Levi uh, tribe had a job done. They were not Kohanim. The Kohanim actually do the service, but the Levim, like we said last night, were in charge of security, were in charge of taking the Mishkan apart, they were in charge of transporting the Mishkan. Now we're going to learn about their job. So it says, uh, the, the charge of the children of Gerishon, so they were in charge of the the Mishkan, which means, uh, remember we learned that the Mishkan had panels. Remember a long time ago we learned how they made the, the panels. They uh, Each one they sewed them to each other, or they linked them to each other, and they were uh, panels, six panels that were connected to five panels, and they served the roof of the Mishkan. So that's called the Mishkan. Mishkan is the uh, the spread that was over the, uh, you know, over the Mishkan. The lower set of panels was called Mishkan. And also, you had also you called Ohil. The Ohil were the panels made out of goat's hair, and they were the roof. And you also have what's called Mechsehu. That's the Orot Elim or Tehashim. That's the skins made out of rams and Tehashim, which was the uppermost layer. So basically, you have the uppermost layer, which goes Mechsehu. Underneath it, you have Ohil. And underneath that, Mishkan. And they were in charge of the three coverings of the Mishkan. What does it mean they're in charge of it? They have to take it apart. When they travel, when they get back to the location, they got to unravel them or unfold them and put them put them back on. Furthermore, Mikseh Umasach Petach Oil Moed. They were also in charge of the curtain. Walking into the Mishkan, at the gate, at the, at the opening of it, we'll call it the entrance, there was a curtain. The curtain's called the Vilon. So they were in charge also to make sure that they take care of that as well. The Kale Haser are the curtains of the Haser. In the courtyard of the Mishkan, there was curtains separating the different uh, sections. Now those are the curtains. Vet Masach Petach Haser, Asher Mishkan. And there was a screen also at the entrance of the courtyard. Asher ala mizbeach, ve'ala mizbeach sabib, ve'et metarab lechol avodato. And also the different uh, ropes. So again, all the different pieces of the mishkan that had to do with the coverings, the curtains, the ropes that attached everything, because they had curtains that were coming down uh, with stakes in the ground. Uh, in order to keep them, uh, you know, straight. So that was uh, the job. Like a mechitza, right? Exactly. That was the job of the Libyim. Uh They were in charge of doing all that. Now, Kehat is the second family. They had Mishpachat HaAmrami. That's Amram's family. Mishpachat HaYitzhari. Mishpachat HaHevroni. 
and Mishpachat Ha'uzi Eli, four families, and um, their numbers came in at 8,600 uh, exactly, and they were also in charge of uh, the Mishkan. We'll see what they did. They traveled, they traveled Temana. Temana means to the south of the Mishkan. And the president of that family was a fellow by the name of Elitzafan ben Uziel. Umishmartam, and they had a very, very important job, Mishpahat Kehat, that is. Their job was the Aron. So they carried the most precious um, uh, vessel, the Aron. And they also carried the Shulchan, the table, the Menorah. Also, they carried the altars, the Mizbechot, and all the different vessels that were needed, you know, the different uh, kelim. And and the parochet. The parochet was the uh, the curtain that separated the Kodesh to the Kodesh Kodeshim. So, again, Kehat had a very, very prestigious job. Now, it should be pointed out that... Um, The family of Kehat, as we said, was on the south side. And remember last night we learned on the southern side of the square that we talked about was the tribe of Reuven. So Reuven and Kehat were on the same side. And the rabbis employ a, uh, a lesson, Oy l'rasha ve'oy l'shcheno. Uh, which means uh, the lesson is that woe to a person's uh, neighbor if he has a woe to the rasha and woe to his neighbor. You have to be very careful uh, to make sure that your neighbors are not bad people because when God's going to punish the rasha, he might get the neighbor also. You know, there's collateral damage. So in this case over here, the uh, the Torah tells us that uh, uh, that's why Datan and Aviram, if you remember Datan and Aviram were the rebels, they were from the tribe of Reuven. And the 250 uh, men that came with Korah, and they were drawn into the uh, into the Mahloket. So uh, the Torah is telling us over here, let's just read over here this note. Right, the, the Kehati family was on the side of the south. They were not divided from, from the Uven. This implies that there was a special significance that they were on the south, and the significance is their proximity to the camp of the Uven. And then the Torah is telling us that what happened to them, she says, the families of the children of Kehat were in the south, which is true. Which is, the Rasha is, is the people of the Uven. And woe to the neighbor. The neighbor is Kehat. And they 
that's why uh, the Tamba Abiram uh, of the tribe of Reuven and 250 other men were stricken with Korah and Adato. Oh, very good. Yeah, because I understand what he's saying. Because you remember we said, who was from the tribe of Kehat? Korah. Korah was from the family of Kehat because Kehat had Amram and Yitzhar. Yitzhar was Korah. So Korah was the neighbor of Reuven. Now Korah's the one that made the rebellion against Moshe. Now who did he draw into this rebellion? His neighbors. So because they were neighbors, Reuven was neighbors with the Rasha. Who was the Korah. So Gamaran says, because he was his neighbor, he sucked him into the uh, mutiny against Moshe, and therefore the tribe of Reuven lost 250 men because they were on the same side. So again, when, when Korah was looking for uh, support, who's he going to go to? His neighbor. And who's the neighbor of Korah on the, on the south side? Reuven. And uh, that just shows that a lot neighbors do. Now the, uh, the Torah then tells us uh, we said their job was again the Aaron. Now, to be pointed out that although it's saying over here that they carried the Aaron, they really didn't carry the Aaron. The Aaron carried itself. You have to know that there was a miracle. The Aaron would just, you know, float. It would be like a, uh, like a helicopter was suspended in air, but it looked like they were carrying it. They would, you know, put their hands underneath it, but it was just a show. They actually weren't carrying it. The Aaron actually would carry those that carried it. Means if you looked at the uh, feet of the people of Kehat, their feet were off the ground. That means when they go to hold the Aaron, the Aaron actually gives them lift, which comes to teach you a lesson that you think that you're supporting Torah, Torah is actually supporting you. Sometimes a person has a child that's learning in yeshiva, and uh, they say, oh, I'm supporting my son in yeshiva. And uh, the holy books say, who, who knows who's supporting who? It's possible that the boy that's studying in the yeshiva is actually supporting the whole family because the Torah supports everybody. Torah lifts everybody up. So although physically the person might be giving him a, a stipend or a salary, but ultimately the Torah carries everybody else. And now the Torah says, the, and the, the, the head of all the Levi family, of the whole family, Unsi, Levi, El Azar ben Aharon Kohen. Okay, so El Azar was the uh, was the was in charge of everybody. So each family had a president, and then the president over all of them was actually El Azar, the son of Aharon the Kohen. You have to remember that Kohanim and Levim come from the same tribe. Kohanim and Levim are from the same tribe. It's just that they're all from Levi. It's just that if you come from uh, Aharon's family, Aharon's family got Kehuna. All the other families were just remained Levim. So Aharon technically was a Levi. He was tribe of Levi. But he had a status of Kohen, which is a elevated status. Uh, and all his cousins were Levim, but Aharon actually was the tribal leader of all the Levim. Now we get to uh, the Mrari. And the Mrari is the Mrari family. Uh, you had Mahli and Mushi. 
merari, and the uh, families totaled from the Mahli and Mushi families, uh, Mahli, Mushi, and Merari, you had uh, from a month and older, 6,200. And the tribal or family leader of uh, Merari was Suriel ben Abihail. Okay, his name was Suriel ben Abihail. And they traveled at Yerech Safona, to the north of the Mishkan. Fukudat Mishminit ben Merari, now ben Merari's family, they were in charge of uh, carrying the Karsheha Mishkan. Remember we learned the Mishkan had beams, 48 beams surrounding it. So they were, that's a big job. They had to carry the beams. And they also had to carry the um, Adanav, Adanav, the sockets that the beams were in. They called Kelav and all the different vessels. So they had to carry the pillars of the courtyard and the sockets and the pegs and the ropes also that section. Now we finish up. Now the families that traveled to the east, uh, which is in front of Ohel Moed, they traveled in front of the Mishkan, Mizracha, Moshe, the Aharon, that was Moshe and Aharon and Aharon's uh, sons. Now, they're on the east side. Now, if you remember, we learned last night, who was on the east side of the, of the, of the square? The tribe of Yehuda. And you had Zivulun and Yisachar. So remember we just learned that. Be careful your neighbors. If you have a bad neighbor, it's gonna, the bad neighbor is going to get you in trouble. Well, now we learn a different lesson. If you have a good neighbor, the good neighbor is going to uh, benefit you. Because the tribes of Yehuda, Zebulun and Yisachar, were actually neighbors of the tzaddik, Moshe and uh, Aharon. And uh, as a result, what happened? Those tribes became great in Torah. We know that Yehuda became a very strong tribe in Torah, and Yisachar, we know, is the tribe of Torah. And uh, Zivulun, also, they had many, many scribes. Now, why did those three tribes become so great in Torah? Because who was their neighbor? Moshe Rabbeinu. So they were influenced just from being in the same proximity of the tzaddik. So let, let's, let's, uh, let's enjoy the lesson that we learned tonight. That when a person comes along and says, you know, where should I live or where should I uh, 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 associate? You associate with good people, the good people will rub off you, rub off on you, and you'll have a benefit. So Moshe's Torah rubs off on his neighbors in the east side of the Mishkan, and they all became scholarly. But, and Korah, who was on the south side, so he rubbed off negatively the Reuven, uh, and they ultimately lost 250 people that he was able to convince, again, since they were close to each other, fight against Moshe. It's a very... And the Torah concludes and tells us that kol all the uh, numbers of the Leviim, all together 
equaled 22,000. Now, if anybody's interested, uh, there's a big question here that all the Rishonim asked that 22,000 is a very low number. If you remember all the numbers we gave on Sunday night, Monday night of the tribes, 45,000, 60,000, even one of them, 50,000, every tribe was in the big numbers. Levi is only 22,000, which is a very small number. And if you remember, all the other tribes, we didn't count them until 20 years old and up. Levi, we're counting from a month. Month. So we're counting much more. And still, we're counting them from much younger. And still, uh, it's only 22,000. So the real question is, why is the tribe of Levi small? So well, the other tribes had uh, six at a time. Didn't we learn that? So the question is, before you give the answer, the question oh. is, why, and Levi didn't have six at a time? No. No? Oh, they didn't have six at a time? Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. How do you know that? When you, were, you, were in the, you were in the delivery room, Morris? How do you know? How? <laughs> I was in the desert. Why do you say that they didn't have six at a time? Were they, weren't they not part of the They, they would have six they at a time. Weren't they weren't Abadim. You didn't go to the river with the fish and the whole thing. They were learning. So, actually, I, I think what you're referring to is the Ramban. The Ramban oh, as a theory says that only those that were oppressed, they multiplied. And since Levi wasn't oppressed, they didn't multiply. Well, listen, I'm going to give you a, a gift. If you go, there's a website that's called, or an app website, it's from the OU. It's called All Parasha. I'm giving you a secret tonight. All Parasha. And if you go there, I delivered this morning. I deliver every week about 25 minutes. Uh, oh, wow, uh, thanks. Pieces from the Orahim Kadosh. It was one of the great commentators. And this morning I delivered a, about a 25-minute segment explaining why the tribe of Levi was so small and explaining exactly uh, what the Orahim HaKadosh's opinion is about that Ramban that you just quoted. And he asks very strong questions against that Ramban that, uh, that says uh, that whoever was oppressed got blessed and whoever wasn't didn't. And he has a totally different explanation of it and is a novel explanation why the tribe was so small. So do yourself a favor. You have until uh, tomorrow night Go to Old Parasha, uh, and you can um, hear the Orachim Kadosh. Very, 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 very special piece. Nonetheless, very good tonight. We learned the amazing. So we're learning Parashat Bamidbar, and we have Kabanafer Sadin. That's Hayasara Batsimha, and we are. We're Pedagimal, chapter three, and we're up to Pasuk Mem. So the Pasuk says, actually, we're up to Pasuk Mem Dalit. So we said yesterday, we Hashem and Moshe, Hashem says to Moshe, Go count. The firstborn males. 
Now you have to remember, originally the Kohanim was supposed to be the firstborns. But after the firstborn sinned at the time of the Egil, they were replaced. The firstborns went down in status, in stature, and God lifted up the Kohanim and the Nevi'im. So now God's going to say, count all the firstborn males from one month and up, and take a census of their names. And then take the Levi'im, take them for me, Lee. So this is where the exchange is going to take place. It's like uh, we call it a pidyon, where God's going to redeem the kiddushah of the firstborns and put it on the Levi'im. So it says, So Moshe Rabbeinu did the census. It called Bechor B'nei Yisrael. How many firstborns were there? The firstborns, it says, were 22,273. If you remember, we learned last night, last night we said that there were 22,000 Levi'im. So there's 273 more firstborns than Levi'im. As a... um, is an overdraft. So now the Pasuk says, By the Bera Shemel Moshe Lemor, Kahitalviim, take the Leviim, Tahat Kol Bechob of Nasil, instead of the firstborns. Bet Behemat Alviim, and take the animals of the Leviim, Tahat Behemtam, Behayuli Halviim, and now the Leviim will be, will be mine. Now, to make a redemption, it's one for one. So we take the Kiddushah of a Bechor and we put it on the Levi. So one for one is good for the first 22,000. But you have 273 that are extra. So what are you going to do with them? So the Torah says, And the 273 that were um, that were in excess so you should take from them five shekel. Five shekel is a certain amount, and that'll serve as the pinyon. So that she says that you take from them five shekelim per head. And the question is, why did they redeem them? With five shekalim. Why was that the price they had to pay for the redemption? So that she says, Yosef. If you remember when they sold Yosef, the Torah tells us they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. That's the price that they got, which actually is five shekalim. And we know that Yosef was a bechor. He was the firstborn. He was the firstborn of Rachelimin. So therefore, as a rectification also for that sin when they sold the Bechor for five shekel. So the Torah says when you sell, when you redeem the Leviim, that excess of 273, so they have to pay five shekel. Now, what do you do with the money? So and you'll give the money to Aaron and his children. Peduima or the Fimbahim. Fine. 
Now the pasuk says, "Vayikach Moshe et kisip apidyom." So Moshe Rabbeinu took the money. Okay, let's get the number. How much shekelim did it equal? So it's basically simple math. It's 273 times 5. Who knows what 273 times 5 is? Well, you don't have to say. The Torah will tell you. According to the Torah's number, it's 1,365. That's how many coins they collected. And what did they do with the coins? They gave it to the uh, Aharon. Now here's the problem. And this is the issue we have to deal with today. How do you choose who's the 273 that have to pay the five shekel? Because each 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 levi that's coming is replacing a bechor. So therefore, what's to decide who's the 273 leftovers? Each guy could say, maybe I'm one of the original 22,000. Why do I have to pay the five shekel? So the question is, how did they discern which 273 are considered the the leftovers. So that she comes along and tells us, Amar Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu said, Kesa Bechor if I tell a Bechor, give me five shekel, he's going to say, I don't have to pay the five shekel. I was redeemed for free. I'm one of the 22,000. So it says, he brought 22,000 tickets. It's like a Chinese auction. There were 22,000 tickets. Vekatab alehem ben Levi. And he wrote on the tickets, Ben Levi. And he took 273 tickets and he wrote on them, Hamishet Shekalim, five shekel. And then he put them in a lottery. This is, the, this is the classic case of lottery. So the firstborn would come. He would pick a lottery. If it said Ben Levi, so it was an even exchange. No money. If he picked the ticket that said five shekalim, he's got to pay the five shekel. So therefore it was... You learn a lesson over here that when you put things in the lottery, you're basically putting it in God's hands. So therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have to make the decision and nobody can contest it because that's it. The lottery chooses who's going to get what and God decides who's going to have to pay the five shekel and who's going to be, you know, a straight up uh, even redemption. So that's that's how that went. By the Ben Hashem and Moshe Lemon, Mela Haron Lemon, now go and uh, count the family of Kehat. Take a census. By the way, whoever named the book, the book of numbers was right because all this is a bunch of numbers. Every pasuk is again another family and how much they were and their jobs. Now we're getting to the Kehat family. Now we counted them between 30 and 50. Now, the reason we count them uh, between 30 and 50, because that's the, the age that they're able to work. That was the rule when it came to the Levi'im. Their age was between 30 and 50, which is an interesting age to work. I mean, no, we, we work from when we're 17 years old. But to be a Levi, 
I guess you needed to have a certain maturity. But after 50, they retired. I guess the logic is the Levim were carrying, the people of Kat were carrying the Mishkan. You can't be 80 years old carrying the Mishkan. It's too heavy. And if I already at 50 years old, as she says, a person's strength diminishes. I know once I reach 50, I'm not as strong as I was when I was 49. That's for sure. After 50, you start to diminish your strength. But therefore, the Levim, they only work between ages 30. And that thir- when a person's 30 years old, that's when he's at his prime, the Gemara says, of strength. And then at 50, again, it starts to, uh, I'm not going to say it's all downhill from there, but it uh, begins to start getting a little more complicated. Let's put it that way. Okay. Now let's continue. This was the job of the family of Kehad and Oil Moed. Remember we learned last night? They were in charge of carrying the menorah. They were in charge of carrying the shulhan. They were in charge of carrying the mizbeah. So the pasuk says, now, how do they carry it? It's like a moving company. You ever see when the moving trucks come? The professional ones, they take the table, but they cover it with a sheet. So it doesn't get scratched up, and they put all sorts of, you know, foam and things like that to protect the items. So the Levi'im are actually movers. So they have to, they can't just take the piece of um, Mizbeah and carry it like that. So the Torah says uh, they came and they they took down the uh, the different uh, partitions. And then so they placed <coughs> upon it a, a, a leather covering Badam the table they also covered with a blue cloth and they put inside of it all the different pieces that we said was on the table the spoons and the different uh, tubes and all the other, other stuff that was on the Mizbeah so basically this part of the parasha is telling us how they transported the, uh, the utensils and basically the transport was by covering them okay now let's go to Pasukir Aleph. Regarding the golden altar, they put also a blue garment over it, uh, leather also, and they put the the the, the, the badim. Badim is the, the poles. The poles were used to carry the mizbeah. So they had to put the poles in in order to use it for transportation. It's called Kriyashere. They took all the vessels. And they put a tchelet over it, they covered it, and they placed it on a pole and they would carry it. Now, before they took the mezbeah, they had to clean it. Because the mezbeah, as you know, has um, has ashes. So they got to clean the mezbeah first. So first the pasuk says, mezbeah. they had to clear it from the ashes, and then they spread a purple cloth, al-gaman, over it. Wow. Now that's a big, big fedush. Listen to this one. If you thought you heard something, there was a miracle in the Mishkan that the fire on the Mizbeach never stopped. It was just a constant fire. This wasn't a barbecue. It was a fire from heaven that just was constantly burning on the Mizbeach. 
Now, when they were traveling, the fire did not stop. So even though they cleaned it from the ashes, the fire was still there. And even when they covered it with this purple cloth, the fire was still there. And as she said, the miracle was the fire did not burn the cloth. So when they came wow. and they landed, yeah, it's a big wow. When they landed, they put the Mizbayah down. They took the cloth off. Nothing. Like fireproof. And they, uh, the fire was still there. That's, uh, that's really amazing. Wow. Yeah. Now, she says, you know, he minimizes it a bit because he says they actually put a, uh, a Pesachter. Pesachter is a copper pot. So they actually took a copper pot and they covered the fire and then they covered they covered it with that. Now I'm assuming the copper pot had holes in it just so the fire can uh, can stay lit. That's called a pesachter. Okay, so it wasn't that they put a cloth on the fire, but they covered the fire with this item, and they but still the miracle is that it stayed it stayed it stayed lit. It never went out. Mm-hmm. All right, that's uh that's something that could do shot. It was like a yes. shop. It was miraculous. It was definitely a miraculous item. All right. There we go. Uh, sorry about maybe some background noise. We have a party in the house tonight for my daughter, but I snuck away oh. to give the class. But, uh, <laughs> I'd rather, be, I'd rather be, be giving the class, to be honest with you. But the point is, we're doing this for the Fuash Shalema of Sarin. Good if we make it tomorrow night, God willing, looks like we're going to finish the parasha. So a long Beautiful. one, the will finish the parasha, and then we're going to Jamal. So again, thank you. Thank you. Thank All right. So we're finishing tonight Bamidbar uh, with Perush Rashi, and uh, we are. Uh, hey, hi, Sandra. How you doing? And uh, we're learning this for the Fuashir Mahaya Sarah Bat Simcha. And we're going to pick it up at, so last night we learned about how the children of Levi, their responsibility was to carry the vessels of the Mishkan. And we also learned how part of their uh, service was to cover them. You can't just carry them, you know, regularly without a, uh, a cloth over them. Otherwise they'll get damaged or they'll get, you know, ruined to a certain extent. So therefore the Torah told us yesterday that they would cover them with different different cloths. Uh, now the Pasuk says, I'm reading Pasuk Tetva, V'chila Aharonu Banav Nechasot Eta Kodesh. So the Aharon and his children would cover all the vessels. Bin Soa, Bin Soa means when they would travel. V'acharechen, after the vessels were covered, Yavo'u B'nei Kehat, the family of Kehat would come, Laset. So now it says that they weren't allowed to actually touch <coughs> the vessels themselves. And then they would die. So therefore that be very careful in the way they handle these things. <coughs> now we learned also that although each family had their own leader, the leader of the whole Levi uh, group was El Azar, the son of Aaron Kohen. He was the memune in charge of managing who carries what. 
Um, and therefore, his job was to make sure to give the orders when we travel, when we leave, you know, when, when we land. And he gave uh, the different instructions. And Shemin Amaor of Torah was also in charge of the oil. That's the oil that they used to light the menorah. He was in charge of producing the ketorit or making sure it was produced, the, the um, incense. And also the different meal offerings that came with the korban. That's the oil that was used to anoint. All basically the things that had to do with the mishkan, um, the carrying of it, like I said, the transporting, commanding who does what. All that was done by and now we get to the end of the parasha. Now, what does this mean? There was a family called Kehati. The Kehat family is actually the son of Levi. The son of Levi is uh, um, Kehat. That's one of the children. And the Pasuk says, make sure you don't cause them to die. Now, why would anybody want to cause them uh, to die? What does it mean, don't cause them to die? Why should anybody want to kill the family of Kehat? Vezot asudahim. So this is what you should do, behayu, and they will live. Velo yamutu. Begishtam et kodesh kodashim. Aharoru banav yabo besamu otam ish ish alavodato ve'el masao. So the Torah comes along and says that... When they would carry the uh, the vessels again, like we said, have to cover them. And the problem is that they're not allowed to look at these vessels. And if they would look at these vessels or handle them directly, it would cause them to die. As a matter of fact, it says a lot of the Vim did die by handling the Aron. The fact that they handled the Aron, although it was a bit of but because you know, it's very, very fragile in the sense, spiritually fragile. So therefore it would cause a lot of the tribe of Levi to die. So the Torah comes along and says, that uh, they should not uh, come into the Kodesh uh, and die. Uh, uh, they shouldn't, you know, be consumed uh, by the Kodesh, which means they have to, uh, again, like we said, cover the, cover the vessel. So that's uh, the basic it means even though they would carry the vessels on their shoulders, they were not allowed uh, to enter into the holy places to take them. So therefore, it was taken apart by, you know, Aaron, let's say, and then um, Aaron and his children would cover them, then they would come in and carry them, but they were not allowed to go in actually and, and take them because the beam are not allowed to go into those holy areas. Uh, so therefore, um, they had to wait until again Aharon and his children. So basically, the system was Aharon and his children moved them and covered them. Then they would call in Levi, the movers, and they would actually carry them. But they're not allowed to go in without uh, without permission. So that's that is the parasha. Now we'll just say one quick word because we know that we're coming to the holiday of Shavuot, and uh, we'll just say uh, a quick a quick Devre Torah. So. Uh, when it comes to the holiday of Shavuot, there's a very um, famous Gemara. The Gemara is in Shabbat on page 88. And the Gemara says that there was a certain fellow from the Upper Galilee, and he said the following. 
he says, we have to give thanks to God, the merciful one, who gave us a Torah that's made up of three parts. And he gave it to a nation that's made up of three parts. And he gave it by a person who's the third in his family. And he gave it on uh, the third day and the third month. What does he mean? What are all these threes? So he meant to say that the Torah is, uh, it's, 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 it's divided into three parts. There's Torah, there's Nevi'im and Ketuvim, we call that Tanakh. So it's a Torah that's actually divided into three. And it was given to a nation that's also divided into three. Kohanim, Nevi'im, and Yisraelim, those are the three parts of B'nai Israel, and it was given by Moshe, who was the third of his family. He had uh, Miriam, Aharon, and Moshe was the third. And it was also given on the third day, meaning they had to separate from their families for three days. That's the Shlosheti Mehagbalah. And then the Torah was given after the third day. And it was given in the third month, which means the month Sivan, which is the third month. And I saw a beautiful explanation from Rabbi Obadiah Hadaya, Allah Shalom. What is the Torah and the number three? Why is God so interested in keeping the number three prominent in the uh, in Torah? Why does it have to be the number that you see when the Torah was given? Three parts of Torah, the three, the nation of three, the date was the third day, third month, and so on. So what is the significance? So he said something very beautiful. He writes that anytime you see three in Torah, three represents something that's permanent. In Halakha, we call that Hazaka. Hazaka means if something happens once, okay, it's a it's a chance. It's a, you know it's a fluke. It happens twice, okay. Twice is also we say I got lucky, but three is a charm. Once it happens three times, that already is considered something that is permanent. Three represents again endurance or something that's real or something that's that's here to stay. King Solomon said it in his uh, in his book Kohelet when he talks about the rule of cords. You know what a cord is? Like a cable. So he says, if you have one cord, you can rip it. You can break it. If you have two cords and you put them together, a little more difficult, but it's still breakable. But then he talks about the chuta mishulash. The chuta mishulash is the triple cord. Once already you have a triple bound cord, it will not be un, undone easily. That means once something is connected to the number three, three represents permanence and something that's long-lasting. And that's a great lesson about the Torah because fads come and go. Books come and go. Uh, famous people come and go. Uh, everything is seasonal. Everything has its time. Everything has its moment and then it's forgotten. You know, people rise to certain prominence and certain things are very, very trendy. And all of a sudden, a year later, everybody forgot about it and nobody's talking about it. That's the way of life. Things come and go and they come and as fast as they come, that's as fast that they are forgotten. Uh, Torah is the opposite. Torah is the only thing that endures. We're still talking about Parashat Bamidbar, something that was given 3,500 years ago. If I ask our members over here, who's the 11th president of the United States? Yeah, so without Googling it, nobody knows. Now, I'm sure the president, the 11th president was a popular guy in his time. 
I mean, he occupied the White House for four years. I mean, the guy probably was on the news in the newspaper every single day. But guess what? A few hundred years later, nobody remembers the guy's name. But everybody still knows who Rashi is. Everybody knows who Rabbi Akiva is. Everybody knows who Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakai is. Everybody's still learning the old book of 3,500 years. Torah is not a fad. Torah is here to stay. And that's represented in the number three. It's a triple chord, and a triple chord, lo tick. It cannot be undone so quickly. And learn that lesson, because some people get so excited on the latest uh, item, you know, the latest uh, show, the latest movie, the latest book, nonsense. All these things are here today, gone tomorrow. Therefore, we're wasting our time. Why would you invest in something that's not going to have durability? You ask somebody uh, uh, if you want to buy something. I say, well, how long is the warranty? They said, the warranty, one year. One year, that's not a long warranty. And if somebody tells you, I'm going to give you a lifetime, lifetime warranty, now you're talking. The Torah has a lifetime warranty. It hasn't been forgotten since the day it was given. Whereas everything else in the world comes and goes. And therefore, you know, today's fashion, next year, it's not on the racks. You, you have to throw it away. You give it away. And they bring out something new. And again, Today's music is different than last year's music. It just keeps on moving and changing. But one thing is always there. that stood the test of time. And that's the Torah that's connected to the number three. And therefore, we have to be very, very appreciative to, to God that he gave us the zechut to connect to this Torah, the Torah of three, this Torah of permanence, the Torah of hazakah, the Torah of, of netzah, the Torah of eternity, the Torah of, of God. Um, I think I told you once, and I'll conclude with this, that a um, few years back, I was at a Sefer Torah dedication in Montreal, uh, Quebec, and uh, they were dancing with the Sefer Torah in the streets. And I was standing next to a, uh, one of the royal mounted uh, police of uh, Montreal. You know, the guys with the boots and the big hat and all. He was like there to protect. And he said, what, what is exactly this, uh, this thing that they're dancing with? I said, it's a Torah. He said, what is a Torah? I said, it's a book. He says, I don't understand. You're making a, a party for a book? And he pointed across the street. There was a Queens College. And uh, he says, there's a library in Queens College, Rabbi, that has over 10,000 books. They never made a party for any of them. What makes this book special? I said, it's a good question, officer. I said, the 10,000 books in that college are synthetic. It's man-made, made in China. It's, it's a human invention. It's fake. And therefore, it does not have the truth. Therefore, it's not worthy to block the streets and dance. This book that we're dancing for was written by God himself. It's the Torah himself. And God is emet. And whatever he writes is emet. And it's the only genuine truth and the only real reality in existence. Nothing else is... As, as pure and as genuine as the Torah itself. For this, we dance. When we finally find something that's emit, and the word emit is spelled with three letters. Aleph, which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Mem, which is the middle letter, and Taf, which is the last letter. Something emit has to be truth from the beginning to the middle to the end. Now, in everything else in society, there might be some truths in the newspaper, but then it's filled with shekel. Or there might be some truths in you know, other areas of life, but then there's a little shaker. Nothing is unadulterated pure truth except 
the Torah. And therefore, once there's sheker, sheker is a decayer. Anytime there's falsehood, eventually falsehood will decay. Falsehood has no standing. Uh, it, it rots. It's moldy. But emet is a preservative. And the only item in the world that's pure emet, without any mold of sheker, is the Torah itself. And that's why it stood the test of time. So I go back. You might not remember the 11th president of the United States. And you might not remember, you know, what happened in 1941. But we remember what happened 3,500 years ago at Har Sinai. And we still remember all the names. Moshe and Aaron and Miriam and all the tzaddikim of the Gemara and the later rabbis. So that's a, that's a great lesson as we go into Shavuot and a great chizuk for all of us that come every night and uh, connect, connect to this truth, the truth of the Torah. It gives God great pleasure that his children are still reading the book 3,500 years later and trying to understand his words. And I have no doubt it's a zikhut for the, uh, for the chola that we're praying for, Haya Sarah Bat Simcha, that Bore uh, Olam will answer our prayers through this limud, that you should have it for Shilema, and I will conclude the Amen. 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 Coming to Shavuot, and it says everybody that had an ailment when they got to Har Sinai, they were cured. And therefore, God should cure all our ailments in the marriage. Amen. 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 And thank you, God should give us the strength that we should continue these uh, classes, the strength both on the side of the teacher and the students, which continues uh, revealing the secrets of the Torah. Amen. Thanks, Amen.